Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on January 15th, 2023. Pastor Rem Dias begins this series on the book of Ruth with a sermon from chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, titled, He Will Make It Plain. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all your smiling faces so early in the morning. Uh, welcome to Grace Lakin. I'm going to read the mission statement. You're welcome to join me. By grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together, and sent to love Lakin and the nations. And please rise as Chad says, in the call to worship. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So today's call to worship is based on Psalm 36, verses 5 through 9. I will read the unfolded portion that says, Leader, and you come join me in the unfolded portion that says, All. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your faithful love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and they drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see not.
And Lord, we do give you glory. Was there because you have saved us? Glory to you. And Lord, we just rest and hope and rejoice in that this morning. And uh, as just as you, as your word says in Isaiah 53, and as we're about to sing, um, we we thank you that you were despised, you were rejected by men, you were a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. You were despised, and we esteemed you not. Surely you have borne our griefs and you have carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed you stricken. You were smitten by God, you were afflicted. You were cursed for our transgressions, you were crushed for our iniquities. And upon you was the chastisement that brought us peace. And we rejoice that by your wounds we are healed. And, uh, and Lord, we just reflect on the fact that we are like sheep who have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own, own way. And the Lord laid on you, Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You were oppressed, you were afflicted, yet you opened not your mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before the shears is silent, you did not open your mouth. And we just, we praise you and we rejoice in that.
given us your word 
and that you, you just told this morning your heart. Like, thank you that we can come to you this morning. Some of us coming in maybe just feeling like the week has just been nothing but labor. Just labor, labor, just, just heavy, maybe just heavy laden. And that we can come and find rest for our souls this morning because you are the rock. And that, Father, we're so thankful for the power that you out of that tomb, Lord, and that because that tomb is empty, Lord Jesus, we know there's nothing here this morning that is in our hearts or minds that we can bring you that cannot be restored, healed, redeemed. We are so thankful for your big and amazing grace this morning. Oh, Father, help us not to miss it. And Holy Spirit, please keep us near, like, help our hearts this morning to be able to see you, that we would treasure you, that we would magnify you. We would delight in just being you. And so, Father, come here that you can just do what only you can do in our hearts and minds this morning. And so we are we're banking, we're putting our weight upon that. Thank you for meeting us. Amen. Uh, the assurance of, of our pardon comes from Romans, Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4. Somebody skipped to. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That might be my other favorite verse. You know, I, I mean, I would do better than that. Oh my goodness, for God has done with the law. Weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And he condemned, he condemned sin in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Amen? All right, let's stand in the seat.
kids room, you can see that the um, uh, screen says the New City Catechism. And just want to reiterate, uh, uh, it's been in the worship guide, but also it's been in the, the, the uh, email. Um, and they're back there if you haven't got one. We're going through this together uh, as a church family. Uh, this catechism. Catechism is a big word, just means to teach. History of the church has had catechisms. Um, and uh, this is just a great way for us to, as a faith family, okay, just, just to say it just for your kids, okay, adults, right, look at you, try to do this, where each week we will, we will go through a question. So this week's question for a whole church family is, what is our only hope in life and death? What is our only hope in life? Alright? And and there is uh, there is an app on your phone, by the way. It's a great app. Uh, it's a New City Catechism app. There's songs on here you can you can debate as a family whether you like the songs or not. They are kind of cheesy, but they they do get stuck in your mind, which is the point. Alright, because we want to grow in truth here. This is a teaching moment for us. Uh, that we wanna we wanna help in, ingrain what is the truth. So um, we're going to do this together. Uh, so what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is right here. Let's, let's read this together. That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. So that's the full version. There is a kid's version. Again, it's all right here and on the app. But just try to, uh, try to memorize that this week. Try to think through that this week. Um, we'll also have uh, devotions I'll send out on that question uh, as well in the email. But um, so I encourage you to uh, to do that as as a as a family. It takes maybe two three minutes in the morning or uh, at night, just re- you know going over that question each each day this week. Um, again, uh, turn to Ruth. Uh, Ruth's right, uh, right after the book of Judges. If you have your Bible, you can just look in the table of contents too. Uh, that's always fine to do. Um, we'll be in Ruth for the next uh, six weeks or so. Um, I am really excited about this book. All right, um, just really excited to dive through this. We're only going to hit five verses this morning. I'm just going to warn you. Um, some think that this is like the darkest five verses, um, or the darkest paragraph in the Bible. Like, it's just not a lot of, not a lot of light here, alright? Uh, but uh, hopefully we share some hope in there uh, this morning. So, uh, let's read it, um, and it's on the screen if you want to follow along. Again, just one through five, Ruth chapter one. Here we go. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife, his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Melion and Kilion. They were both Ephraimites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. <coughs> right. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons, these two mobile wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malion and Kilion died. 
so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, really, really bright this morning. Uh, but uh, title of this message, He Will Make It Plain. He Will Make It Plain. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Come on, stretch it out. Say, He Will Make It Plain. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Wake up already. Come on. All right. Let's pray. Father, we are so I'm just so thankful for this uh, for these five verses and um, what is here again from this book of the Bible that is your inspired word of God. And um, Father, I I just pray that as we study this book, um, as we even go through these first five verses this morning, God, you will be glorified. Uh, Holy Spirit, um, I just ask that you would use uh, just anoint me, Father, just don't let me say anything that's not here clearly in the text that doesn't bring glory to you and magnify your son, Jesus. So help me, like I said, again, if I'm wrong, just strike it from my nose, strike it from my mind, but God, again, just you would be glorified, and that, God, we could we could just know you more. Give us eyes, eyes. Help us to see this moment. Be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, William Cowper. William Cowper was a, a really famous hemologist back in like the 1700s, um, and he came to Christ in an insane asylum. <laughs> he came to Christ in an insane asylum. He had to be locked up in an insane asylum because he just was so far gone in his life. And um, he found a Bible. Uh, he found a Bible from a Christian worker and came to faith. And there he began his process of where God, God opened up his eyes to his great love uh, in his life to, despite his horrible uh, you know, mental uh, conditions that he was dealing with. Uh, and he writes this hymn. Um, he writes this beautiful hymn right in the middle of just this horrible time of suffering and pain um, titled God Moves. And uh, here, here's just the the main uh, couple of verses of this hymn. It says this, God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. I thought about singing this, but then I was like, trying to, trying to go to church, but I don't know if that work. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purpose will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. The story of Ruth, the book of Ruth, is a love story, okay? It's a cute little love story, all right? I mean, it is. It's a love story, and you should feel like, 
Oh, Ruth. Like, and some people just think, oh, Ruth, you know, it's just a Ruth. Um, it's, it is. It's a, it's a great love story. There's so much. It's a great love story. One of the greatest love stories, for sure. It's a story about biblical. You, you will see traces of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood in it, for sure. It is a story about God's kindness. It's the Hebrew Hesed. It's it, his, his great kindness to accomplish his, 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 his plan. But more than any of that, it is a story about redemption. The word redemption is, uh, the, the, the Hebrew root, root word for redemption is used 23 times throughout this book. And it's not just redemption, just uh, being redeemed from something, but redemption, redemption in the fact, redemption in the midst of great pain and trial and suffering and darkness. It's a, it, that is its main ultimate goal, but even even more, there's traces of, so if that's the, the prominent goal, redemption in the midst of pain and suffering and all this, the ultimate, ultimate point of the book is God's redeeming a young Moabite. I mean, just get this for a second. Ruth, okay, there's only two books of the Bible that are named after woman, and not only that, but Ruth's a Moabite. God redeems a Moabite woman, and from her lineage, okay, from Ruth comes King David, and we know from King David's line is King Jesus. This story is ultimately about how God is tracing, we're tracing the lineage of King Jesus. But the line I really wanted to draw your attention to, I mean, that whole hymn is great, but is this, the blood may have bitter taste. But sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err. And can his work in and, and can his work in vain? God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. This is what he's meaning. This is what he's meaning. It's like when pain and 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 trials and the weights of life fall upon us, sometimes we say, as he's saying, uh, wait, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? That, your work is in vain. You can't possibly be, you know, why God? Why would you be allowing, why would this be happening to me? And what he is saying is that he trust that God is working. He will make it plain. And that is what we're going to see right here. In these five verses, we do feel the weight of the, the pain and the suffering. But all through it all, folks, God is working and in your life. Despite the weight of life or trials or pains, God is always working. He's always working. So that is what we're going to see um, in just these first five verses. So I got only two observations. And the first one is God works despite our bad decisions. And we're really, these first five verses, too, are getting this unpacking more of the context of the book. So let's, let's, let's dive in this morning. Everybody doing all right? Everyone keeps looking behind me or something. Yeah. Everything all right? Okay. What's happening back there? All right. 
Okay, it's something. All right, here we go. Verse one. In the days, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So Ruth is a spotlight book. All right, it's a spotlight book, meaning you, you've had this, you know, the, his, the story has been going so far in, in the scriptures, you know, you know, it's been going, 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 his, the, the history has, has been expanding and expanding, and all of a sudden, Ruth's just a spotlight book of, of it's not expanding what's happening in the nation of Israel, but it's, it's showing what's, you know, it's spotlighting in the midst of a time, and what is the time? It's in the time of the judges. That's a huge, you got to see that, that's, that's huge. The author's wanting to say that's that's huge, all right? And we don't necessarily know the exact time the judges something. He was right in the middle of the book of Judges when this these events were actually happening. Something gets in the end. I think it's more towards the middle. Um, you can ask me why uh, if you want, but didn't make the sermon. Uh, but here... Here's, uh, here's why, why the author is doing that. He's not wanting to necessarily um, give us an exact date for that reason, but he's wanting to, or, or she, whoever it is, is wanting to highlight the theological atmosphere of the nation of Israel at this time. And it's time to judge Now, then, you know, read the judges in a while. It ain't a great time. In the nation of Israel. It's not a great time in the nation of Israel. This is the repeated cycle of judges. You know what the repeated cycle is? You know, there's a little bit of peace, and then they, uh, the, it, Israel rebels. They just go, you know, they just go wild. And then, and then God brings judgment upon them. All right, God brings judgment upon them, and then they repent. Oh, sorry, raises up a judge, delivers them, and then, oh, they feel a little bit peaceful again. And guess what they do? Back again, it's just rebelling, and then God raises up it, you know, gives some judgment, and, and this is a repeated cycle, repeated cycle, and towards the end of the book, this gets worse, they're, they're not really wanting to repent anymore, the judges just get worse, everyone's like, oh, Samson's so great, I'm like, oh my goodness, just read about that guy, like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, but it's this reality that th this is the condition, and God's still working in the midst of it, and, and if you want to just get a good theme verse for the book of Judges, all you got to do, guys, is go like this. Turn your Bible, and you go to 21, verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 25 of Judges, and it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the thing. That's what's, that's what's happening in the context of the river. Everyone's just doing right in their own eyes. It was a dark Dark time. Dark. And that is why I, I started thinking about it. It was like, ah, oh, God is so good. Man, is he not so good? Darkest time, and he gives us Ruth. He gives us the book of Ruth. In the midst of such great unfaithfulness, we're going to see huge themes of God's glorious faithfulness through some of these amazing characters, and it's not given up. You know, I, I thought about it like this, you know, when you go buy jewelry, and I'm not good at buying jewelry, you know, I, I just, it's just something I've not been great at, and so frankly that I, I guess I can get better. When you go buy jewelry, when you do, they bring out, you know, they, they have like this little felt, 
you know, this little billboard, and it's got the jewelry on it. And you're like, ooh. And you know, you're not like, oh, can you get the jewelry? Let me look at that felt. My goodness, that's some mighty good looking felt. No, you're not like, you're not worried. About, well, the felt's purpose is like, uh, it's dark. It's, it's, it's to magnify the beauty of the jewelry. Listen. The darkest moments. At times, God is still working and he's magnifying light. So when we say, okay, um, yeah, it's dark. The times are dark. Whatever, the times are dark. I guarantee you, the times in what we're living in right now are not as dark as the time of judges. And all the more, God shines his beauty and his radiance, his light through the darkest times. So, failure of God. Hold fast to the hope we have that God is still going to use you. Use this sword in the midst of the darkest of times. Now, uh, so that's the setting. But what's the exact time? This is really interesting. There was a there was a famine in the land, and um, there was a famine in the land. In what land? This is the land of Bethlehem. And the ironic thing, Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Okay, I mean, it's what it means. It means house of bread. So it's like they're going into Panera looking for bread, and there ain't no bread. It's like, wait, anybody done that? I don't pray. We have bread. Like, that doesn't make much sense, okay? Um, uh, it, there's a famine in the land. And what, it, what is the reason? Why is there a famine in the land? Well, Deuteronomy 28, 15 through 58, Leviticus 26, 18 through 20, and 1 Kings 17 through 1 says that in times of great uh, Israel's disobedience, this was a sign of God's judgment. This was. A sign of judgment. Now, famines aren't always linked to disobedience of the nation of Israel, but in this time when there was, I mean, a great, I mean, again, everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. They, this is, there's a famine. You can see it all through Scripture. Again, it's not always the case, but in this case, absolutely. And what should have been, what should have been their response? Yes, who said that? Someone said that. Oh, there you go. Repent. Deuteronomy 30 says, Repent. You need to be turning. You need to be turning. And what is so sad? I've never really sat in this before. But as a man, this convicted me so bad. Because what does a woman like do? Does he repent? No. What does he do? He flees. He flees. And so a man, it says right here, a man from Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn. Sojourn just means I'm, I'm, I'm passing through. I'm going to pass through. Not, not make camp there. I'm just going to pass through, sojourn through. In the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, I'm going to give you names because names matter all throughout the book and the definition of the names throughout this book. Got it? The name of Elimelech means God is my king. That's what it means. God is my king. My, or my God is king. And the name of his wife is Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet, since for some years sweet, sweet pie. Right here, that's Naomi. No, that's not she's sweet, pleasant. But that's going to matter because later she's going to say, oh, I better change my name to bitter. Oh, it's sweet. And, and so Naomi means sweet. And then, uh, Malion. Okay? You know what that word means? Sick. 
And kilo means dying. Okay? They just name their kids sick and dying. Alright? Just maybe not a great new name. Okay. But like I think that again, what the, the, the writer is he's foreshadowing, okay, this something's about to happen. And and they're from they're from uh, the clan of the Ephraites from Bethlehem and Judah, and then they went to the country of Moab and reigned there. Now, you might just read over that like, what's the deal? It's a huge, it's a huge, huge verse. Because, let me just tell you a little bit about Moab. Moab's about 50 miles come from Bethlehem. The Moabites were bad people. I mean, people had no part in the nation of Israel. They had their start, by the way. Their start as a nation was from an incest relationship between Law and his older daughter. And you see that. You read about that in Genesis 19. There, and then in Numbers 22 through 24, their king, Balaam, cursed Israel when they came out of, of Egypt, made it really hard for them to coming out of Egypt, cursing them. Um, and then, just added to it, Numbers 25, Moabite women were seducing Israelite men to worship false gods. And we see, I'm going to send the text, you read, and the result is 24,000 Israelites fell. Alright? And then, I just add to it, most recently in Judges 3, King Eglon of Moab recently oppressed Israel. Now, we just said Deuteronomy 30, famine comes, repent, Elimelech means God is my king. He takes his family to Moab. He takes his family to Moab. And not just, as the text is going to say, they were named there. They were named there. A place where they wouldn't have found any type of worship. Israel worship to Yahweh. Now, this is not the, the main point of these five verses, but it struck my heart as a man leading, and as we want strong men leading in our families, like the most important decisions men that we make is how we allow our wives and our kids to flourish in Christ. And how are we at keeping everything in our power to just worship Christ? I mean, you could argue, right? Oh, come on, man, like he's trying to, he's trying to at least provide food and security. And absolutely, you have that, like for sure. Like that's that is admirable. But do you know what? Um, possums, possums, yeah, nasty little possums, they can provide food and security, all right, for their little baby possums. I think we need to raise the bar a little bit higher than uh, just, let's just food and security here. And, and so the bar he's saying is like, listen, he's like, man, for us, like, how, what is, man, what is the vision and direction for the spiritual nurture of kids, of the kids and wife and people in our home? And again, that's why I think one of the things, just a tool we want to give is the new city catechism to help ground the faith and teach the faith. And then and another thing is that 
Uh, one, one pastor, as he was diving into this, he, he brought up the idea to me as like, church, the amount of importance of being with the body. It's like they were outside the body for such a long time. It's like it's important to be in the body. So this is this is the amazing thing. So you might say, okay, this is a little bit decision. God is still working. But it gets worse. I mean, the downward spiral just gets worse. And look at this. This is the next three to five verses. And this is the second point. God works despite our wrecked lives. God works despite our wrecked lives. Because look, verse 3, go to Limelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left uh, with her two sons. Okay, it's strategic. Okay, now she just, okay, it's just getting worse in order the move Moab still, and now her husband's not, and then these two sons took Moabite wives. The names of one Orpah and the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there ten years. Again, they're, they, they, they're setting up camp there, and again, you might think, man, that's just a minor thing. No, that's again, it's commanded. It was commanded. Hey, do not intermarry with Moabite women. And this is not a race issue. It's like, no, not, not at all. If the Moabites would have would have turned turned to Israel, absolutely, that's great. But it is what 2 Corinthians 6.14 is talking about, is there's an unequal yoke here thing going on. If you start inter, intermarrying here, they will lead your way to their false gods, their false worship. Don't do that. And the same thing as a side application. Any, any, anybody wanting to get married, you, you're trying to give advice. Believers, married believers. Period. And it doesn't mean, well, well what if the two unbelievers get married and then now all of a sudden, you know, um, one, the husband or wife gets, you know, saved? Should it, does that, are you just giving me justice to this? No, no, that's a whole other list of commands we have that stay and, and for the sanctification of, of, of that. But dating and those types of relationships, uh, but like, scripture like, don't be unequally yoked here. Like, believe it. Like, and that's what he's saying. He's like, man, don't. And they're barren. Ten years. I mean, this is just getting worse. And then this, this is, this isn't really happy. <laughs> Doesn't it? But men and Achilleon die. I mean, put yourself in the scriptures, that so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, you might think, well, that, I mean, insurance and insurance and other people can help and security. And there's things that can help you. No, no, In a tribal society like this, literally, literally, like, I'm not, I mean, this is not, you know, oh, pastor, just exaggerating. No, I'm, like, she would have been at a complete economic loss. Complete security loss. She, she's at a loss. She literally hit the most rock bottom place that she could possibly be in. Hit rock And this is why I love the Bible. Like, man, you dark. You love that? Like, what are you talking about? Like, that mention of Yahweh, God, and this, and you love that? Like, you are dark, man. Like, are you kidding me? You, you think this is just great? You clapping? Yes, because the Bible is real and raw. And it gives us 
I mean, a doctrine of suffering and pain. And I mean, you can't, there's not a single one of us who walked in this door has never dealt with pain and suffering and the grotesqueness of life. The Bible's just going right to it all the time. You're either someone who just got out of suffering, about to go into suffering, or currently suffering. It's just what happens. And in the midst of it, the, the author, I think, is trying to pull us and say, how is Naomi going to respond? And, and the question is, and I, what we have here, is we don't understand what God is doing in this moment. For a reason to help us say, what is God up to? And have you ever done that? Are you currently doing that? Have you ever thought, God, how in the world could you be working in this? I mean, this pain, this suffering, this hurt? Are you serious, God? How could you? How, God, how? And I think when we do that, we confuse ourselves sometimes. And we, can keep, we misunderstand God sometimes when we do that. We confuse ourselves sometimes because I like how one pastor says, and this guy, he's a little fire. His name's Bodie Bachman. Uh, so just know that when you listen to the sermons, just, you are saved by repenting and trusting in Jesus. And he just makes you feel, oh, he is just a fireball. And he, but he says in his family, this is his quote, he says in his family, um, when their family, when any of their kids start complaining about how tough life is or something around there, this is what he, t- he makes them say. He says, um, <laughs> he says, hey, we only deserve death, hell, and the grave. And anything else besides that is grace. I'm like, woo, that's right. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm taking that and I'm, I'm, I'm using that. Because you and I, that's all we deserve. Listen, we get up in the morning and we think we're entitled. You ain't entitled to like, the moment that you you got up, your eyeballs open. I mean, well, that's what you're. Yeah. You start seeing, tasting, and feeling. That is grace. You don't deserve. We don't, what we deserve is death, hell, and the grave. But our God is not in the story there. That's what we deserve. So I think sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. Like, God, how could you have to know? He's like, uh, hold it. You saw the sunset this morning. Sunset. Thank you. Just, my brain was back. It was catching up. Second thing is, I think you think we do this. We think too low of God in the midst of pain and suffering. We have a too low of God, because, listen, folks, listen, I want to give us a good doctrine of, of suffering, and yes, people are always like, well, really, why bad things happen to good people, I'm suffering this, suffering that, and yes, you know what, I, I always leave, yeah, okay, the reason there's pain and suffering, the reason you're born with, you know, something wrong or something, you know, yes, it's because of sinfulness, that's, that is absolutely right. That is a good theological statement. But let me ask you a question. Does that help anybody? The moment they are on the floor, in a, just hurt by life, just want to give up in life, and, and or the moment you're sitting in a hospital room and you're looking at a loved one who's dying, 
And you just say, well, is it helpful at all to just say, well, it's just because sin entered the world? Does that give them any hope? I mean, yeah, I mean, a little bit, it gives them some, but what we're saying in the book, what the scriptures are saying, and you've got to, we're going to see here, is that not even pain and suffering are outside of God's providential control. And matter of fact, he is, does his best work in it. And, and the reality is, reality is, folks, if God, if God does not, if we can't trust God to allow to be over our suffering and pains and trials in our life, who is? You want to just chalk that up to Satan or sin or things like, listen, God is working here. God is working here. And he's allowing, and I do believe we see he's allowing even Naomi, maybe even we're gonna I, like to come to the end of her so she can have hope. Paul Church, I love how he says it says the doorway to hope is hopelessness. And I mean, I mean really that's the, the moment I, I mean, in my, I just, I zoom in, I'm like, the moments that I don't like in my life and I glorify in my life is the moments of uh, that juxtaposition there, where I'm suffering and his, uh, it's working. And see, as we close up, William Cowper, he, he believed that God was actually using his suffering, using his pain. And using it to turn it to him because he saw that God was faithful. And God is faithful in it. And the ultimate display, the ultimate display, folks, let in here. The ultimate display of God's faithfulness in the midst of pain and suffering, or as he writes, the bud, the bud which had a bitter taste. That bud, what is the bud that had a bitter taste? was the darkness of the cross. You talk about a bitter time, a bitter moment, is when Jesus was on the cross, behind God's smiling providence. Are you keep, like, in that moment, is, is God like, I don't know what's going on, the Roman soldier, like, oh, disciples are going crazy because of the suffering and, and Jesus being nailed across. Do you think God's like, oh my goodness, what's happening? My plan, my plan. No, that was his plan. That was his plan. He was doing that to his son so that the blood of the bitterness could sweet be the flower. What would be the flower on the opposite end of the cross? God being glorified in the gracious mercy of His Son to redeem sinners. Mm. He was going through it all. So blind unbelief is just brother. I don't need, and you don't need to say blind unbelief because God is His own interpreter and He will make it plain. Listen, that means we can go... Because if God could move his most glorious act in the world through 
And that the most glorious act in the world was the life, death, murder of his son. And then rising again. If God's most glorious act was through pain and suffering, it was in that moment, it was this, that Christ was being exalted the most in that, then we know that he is always. And we can trust that Christ and his glory and his mag and his beauty and who he is, listen, that we can just dump ourselves on him and fall on him and rest on the weight and the beauty of who Christ is because it shows us our God is faithful despite what is going he's going to work. And our question is, we might not know how he's going to make it plan, but he will make it plan. It might not be in this moment like you think. You know what I mean? It's going to take some time, but he will make it plain. He will make it plain into the glory of his name. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And it is, it is so, uh, it brings me, God, I just, I want to love you. I want us to love you more. I just, I pray that, Father, we, all of us this morning, wherever we're at, if we feel like man, or if we feel the progression of like, oh, things just get worse, things get better, could you, in your province, could you, by bringing them here this morning, in your province of me preaching this text, where could you, by your spirit, remind them of the cross? Remind them that you were faithful. You've always been faithful. And while they might not understand how this is going to work out, this that right now, Father, that Jesus, in the midst of the pain, they would find hope right now. But you are not done. You're working. You're working. And they would put their hope again upon you, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to a time of the Lord's table, and um, I uh, I love what one commentator said. He says, uh, "Do not stop gathering with God's people." This was the verse of Elimelech. He was giving this, you know, moving above and stopping. He says, "Do not stop gathering with God's people as we hear the word and participate in the sacraments. We are reminded in." Word inside that suffering is under God's control and that there is the hope of glory in the end. So as, as, as Jesus was with his disciples and took bread and broke it and said, hey, take it. And do this. Do this in remembrance of me. I mean, and then the same way after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup you come in my blood. Do this and drink it as often as as you gather in remembrance of me. And look what we're doing. Again, look at the text of the sermon. We're, we're remembering what? Suffering, pain. We're remembering that this is how God orchestrated our redemption is by sending his son and by allowing him to, to die on that cross. So that, I mean, through the bitter but out sweet. So we on the other side can taste it. Yes, this is what we're holding to. This is what binds us together. This is what binds us together. 
is Christ. And so again, this is this is this is Christ's invitation. It's open for all. He's, it's not the table of the NPC or, or grace linking. This is a Christ table. And it's for those who who know they are a sinner and they put their faith in Christ and are walking with him. That's it's it's for the believer. It's it's for the believer. And so uh, I would just ask you to prepare your heart, guard your heart as you come towards the table. And and Pray. Pray that God will give you all gift of this sacrament. Um, and so, again, we use the teaching. So that just means you'll come up and we tear a piece of the bread and we dip it into the chalice. We have it at the screen, but there's some cords here, so watch the cords as you go back uh, to your, your seat. Um, but I'm going to pray, bless the sacrament, and then I'll invite you forward. We also have gluten-free options up here again as well. Um, so let me pray and then I will invite us forward. Lord, thank you for this sacrament. Thank you for, God, for your Son, Jesus. Thank you that you knew we would need remembrance you, and, and, and that, that your Spirit, you've sent to the Spirit that give us the sacrament so it strengthens our union with you. So that way we can come to the table and our faith in you, but we might come to the table battered, broken, maybe like Naomi, and we can find strength in you. So Lord, help us, bless and bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
and sufferings and things we might be going through, Christ is our only hope. He is our only hope in life and death. Amen? All right, we'll be blessed. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com.